Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Scott Walters. And I'm your co-host, Sharon Mander. Hey, Sharon. I want to ask you, what do you know about rocks or geology? I would like to say I know a lot because in grade 12, all those years ago, I swear it's like a decade ago now, I took a good geology course where we had to like identify minerals and like different types of rocks. I don't know if I remember too many. I think if I were to if I were to hazard a guess, I think the three main types are what sedimentary, igneous, and uh, and something perhaps perhaps metamorphic, (laughs) metamorphic. (laughs) And then I remember that uh, granite and gneiss are basically the same thing, but except they're like aligned differently or something. But yeah, (laughs) that's pretty good. I don't actually know that much myself. As a matter of fact, I took a souls class myself, but we do have somebody (laughs) who can shed a lot of light on this topic. We are here today with Reese Patterson. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be back on GraphCast. So what department are you in? What do you do here at Western? So I actually just graduated on Friday, uh, but I was part of the Department of Earth Sciences. And uh, so natural science, the best building ever, because the bus station is right outside. Um, But I was part of the Department of Earth Sciences. My supervisor uh, was Dr. Jiso Jin. And uh, yeah, I really, uh, really like rocks. And I'm really excited to talk to you guys about rocks. And good for you for knowing the three. Very good. <laughs> well, yes, I knew, I definitely knew all three right away. <laughs> but uh, I was curious, did I get the nice and granite thing right? I actually, so there's like two different kinds okay. of geology, I guess. Uh, so there's like hard rock, which is like mining and all that kind of stuff. And then soft rock, which is plastic and carbonates and oil and gas. And I'm on that side. So I did take the hard rock courses but I can't remember. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just assume I'm right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Somebody (laughs) can fact check in the, on Instagram or something like that when you post it. (laughs) Yeah. So like, what is your work focus on then? If you're not on the hard rock side, what do you do? So my work is predominantly um, looking at core, looking at geophysical logs and looking at the relationship between the two. So I like to describe my research um, like a cake. So geology, sedimentary geology is like a cake. So there's cake, you have a bunch of layers. And then in between those layers, there's icing, or sometimes maybe there's chocolate chips or like, you know, like a hard like wafer in between, you know, these layers and how they interact is my focus of study. So if there's an interaction between like a chocolate and vanilla layer, um, that may be important for natural resources or things like that. That's what I study. That's really cool. So these layers, these, these formations, how have they formed? Like how is different sort of old time paleolithic sort of events influenced how they are here? Is that something you look at? Yeah. So my work predominantly focuses on, uh, southern Ontario. And Ontario is situated between two massive basins. So we have the Michigan Basin to like the east, and then we have the Appalachian Basin kind of to the to the southwest a little bit. Um, And the Appalachian Basin is a massive basin that encompasses like Pennsylvania and Ohio 
And we kind of get just the tip of it in Lake Erie and like Port Colburn area. Um, and the Appalachian Basin is a really, really important um, basin for oil and natural gas, well, predominantly natural gas. Um, and it's one of the largest, um, largest active natural gas pools in Ontario. Um, the Michigan Basin is a little bit different. It, it, there's a little bit more oil and a little bit more like uh, a little bit more salt over there. And then there's this kind of like bridge in between the two. Um, and during the Paleozoic time, um, Ontario was kind of like modern day Bahamas, like kind mm. of 10 to 12 degrees, degrees paleo latitude. Um, so we're so like Lake Ontario and Lake Erie, where it is now, um, used to be a beach. And there's fossils and there's sand and there's carbonates and all of these interact um, to create natural gas pools and oil pools and aquifers and aquitards and things like that. All right. For I just got a clarification question because we've been throwing around the word paleo a lot. For my sake, could you tell me how old that is? Oh, okay. The Paleozoic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, oh, you're really testing, uh, testing my brain here. So the Paleozoic, uh, so there's different portions of the Paleozoic mm -hmm. era. So there's um, Precambrian, Cambrian, Ordovician, Silurian, Devonian, things like that. So I focused on the Ordovician Silurian mm -hmm. boundary, which, and I really hope my supervisor doesn't listen to this, I think is between 428 and 450 million years old. Oh, shit. That's yeah. a long ass time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah I'll, I'll trust you on that. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. My guess would have been like 2.6 million. <laughs> All right. So when you're at these sites, so in the Southern Basin or U.S., what kind of, uh, what what is the work you do there? You said something about coring, I think. Yeah. So my, uh, so geophysical like borehole logging is you're basically drilling down a large cylinder into the earth's sediment. Um, and my study area was actually all under water. So it was all under the subsurface. So I couldn't actually go and visit, um, visit my sites. Um, the Appalachian basin and the geology in there you kind of picture it like a big bowl that kind of scoops underneath uh, Lake Erie. And the, the lip of the bowl, um, or what we call an outcrop, is the escarpment. So we see those layers outcrop at the border, so like the Niagara Gorge. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't extrapolate and we can't have, um, we can't use like our little scientific brains and figure out what the heck is going on beneath the beneath the ground. That's what geology is. Um, so when we core down, like there's meters and meters of core that you can reach down to. And when it comes back up to surface, then we can kind of correlate with the layers that we see above ground. So if there's a specific fossil or if there's, you know, something interesting in um, in the outcrop and we see it in the core as well, we can then kind of have like a regional perspective and kind of guesstimate what is underneath uh, underneath our feet or underneath water in this example. That's cool. 
So you get to look at, you get to see these different sort of formations or analyze them. So when you're looking at these layers, these formations, you know, there are a lot of fun sounding names to these geological formations that lie beneath us. Looking a little bit at some of the work you've done, I see you've mentioned Devil's Hole, Power Glen, Cabo Head, things like that. Robert, Robert McFarlane in his best-selling book, The Old Ways, referred to them as sounding part epic, part nonsense, a Jabberwocky sprawl. They're just crazy, tons of different names. And I'm curious, in general, how do formations like these get their names? Well, it's up to the geologist who um, discovers them. Usually it's by a place or like from the history books. So um, the the formations that I studied were part of the Clinton Medina group. Um, and mostly the Medina group, the Clinton group is like, is a mess. Um, not that the Medina isn't a mess either, but, um, we have formations like Queenston, Whirlpool, Manitoulin, uh, Devil's Hole, Grimsby, Thorold, you know, things like that. And so I'll use Grimsby and Thorold for an example. So there's, uh, the Grimsby sandstone and the Thorold sandstone and the first occurrence was found, or the first occurrence of these rocks were found in Grimsby, Ontario, and in Thorold, Ontario. The Queenston, for example, is like this bright red and green shale uh, named after Queenston Heights in Niagara-on-the-Lake, um, because at the escarpment, you see this like large red section looking out to the American side. Um, and the good thing about well, I mean, the good and the bad thing about these records is that we have about 150 years of information on the Paleozoic and the Clinton Medina group. And actually, one of the things that makes it difficult is uh, people don't name things correctly or the nomenclature isn't the same over the border or even you talk to another geologist and they say, oh, that's not the devil's hole. That's, uh, you know, that's the Cabot head or, you know, um, it's really based on like opinion and based on descriptions from previous geologists. And um, that's really the basis of my work is trying to define what those units actually are. Okay. I have a, so when we're talking about, um, you talked to this, you kind of described how you can just differentiate the layers. And then you brought up that you guys have a bunch of information just over 150 years. It, what kind of information is it and how is it stored in my mind? For some reason, I was just thinking you guys have a bunch like a cooler full of cores <laughs> from 150 <laughs> years ago. Well, so there's two things here. So there's um, actual like physical information. So like books and geological reports and things like that. Um, the, the geological survey has been around for a really, really long time. So um, back in the, back in the olden days when, you know, you could just walk wherever and collect whatever um, a lot of these geologists would go out and um, you almost want to call it like Sesame street geology where they had no choice but to describe what they saw. And I love modern technology, I really do, but sometimes just going out and just seeing it as it is and describing it is the best way, um, the best way forward. So there's written information, so there's papers that have been studied, there are some pretty, uh, pretty 
predominant. They're predominant in the geological community. Um, there are certain geologists that are like Harkness or Sanford that have been with the Ontario government, or they've worked as a consultant and um, their information is pretty solid. And then you have other geologists that come in that challenge those descriptions. Um, and then the information kind of takes a left turn. Um, so you have like written information and then you have actual core. So the core for Southern Ontario um, is actually stored at a place called the Oil, Gas and Salt Resources Library here in London. And they have over like 56 kilometers worth of core and they have lots of geologic information. Um, and it's basically a core shack. So you can go in and you can say, hey, I'd like to look at this core, like core 1001 that's been drilled, like it's OGS number eight or something like that. They'll pull it for you and you have this beautiful slab of core that you can look at and you can correlate. And what's really cool about that is um, because rocks don't change, obviously, you can go in and see where other geologists have made geologic picks for the formations, or they'll like leave little notes in there being like, oh, like, this is interesting. I don't know what this is. And then somebody will come back and be like, oh, it's this fossil. And it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. I think that's very cool. So a library of stone. And so these different cores, I'm assuming they've been taken from multiple different areas you know, around Ontario, and you're looking at a particular core to look at a certain area, when people want to look back at this awesome resource, are researchers, researchers able to take kind of a sliver, a small piece, you know, because I think if everybody's always doing that, it would eventually dwindle, but you're talking about 56 kilometers long. So I think that sometimes you could take a small piece and do different forms of analytical, physical research on these as well. Yeah, so there's lots of like, in total, there's probably about 56 kilometers worth of core, but there's cores from um, Lake Erie, uh, there's cores from Toronto, there's cores from Hudson's Bay, anywhere that there is Paleozoic geology. Looking at these cores, you know, people can come in and do like geochemical properties. They can crush it up and, you know, see what type of... Um, like minerals, if there's anything in there, or like the predominant mineral in like calcite versus aragonite, um, they can do like um, like geobiology, I guess. So you can like study the different types of fossils that may or may not be in a certain type of shale. Um, or you could do something called thin sections, which is where you can actually like shave the rock down to like I don't think it's a micron, but like it's very, very thin that you can throw under a microscope and then you can use like a cross polar lens to see um, if the if the grain size is a certain like if it's a certain width or if it's predominantly quartz or if there's pyrite in there, like um, a lot of stuff can can be done on the rocks. But there is um, there is limitations, obviously, like you can't take like a whole piece like it's like little little baby pieces that you take talking about taking pieces can anybody core anything still like can i just go out and like i'll make a core of this and then i'll take it back with me or is there like you need permissions now well it's uh it's expensive so if you have oh. you know like 30 grand lying around to drill a, a core <laughs> don't we all don't we all, <laughs> don't we all right um there are different classifications for the types of coring so um 
there's something called the Oil, Gas, and Salt Resources Act. So if you're going to be drilling with the intent of hitting oil, gas, or salt, um, then legally you have to give us half of the core. So that way it stays in the core library and then you can have half the core if you'd like. There's also, if you're drilling for like something called a stratigraphic test where um, maybe the geology is a little funky and they want an answer. So they'll drill down to what we call the basement. So that way they get like a full picture of what's going on. And then there's other things like, um, you know, if there's a infrastructure project and they're like drilling in to see what type of um, what's underneath what's underneath the earth. Um, that kind of doesn't really come to us, but sometimes they do go deep enough to hit, they go past what we call the quaternary or like the quaternary sediment that's on top. Sometimes they go deep and they touch the Paleozoic um, rocks underneath and then we we can take that as well. Um, but if if you're really interested, you really could just go and drill if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fancy. How do you, okay, let's then I have a follow-up then. Can you even have a bad core then? Yes. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Things can go wrong. Like, so there's two different types of uh, coring. So there's rotary and cable. And uh, rotary is like three gears that are like churning and churning and churning. Um and obviously that will not produce a very nice core for you to look at. Usually it's like chips, like you're really just pulling out like nothing out of the ground. Uh, cable tool, uh, the cable tool where it's actually like pounding and going deep into it with like a casing, that's where you can get a nice core. Um, but sometimes like, you know, you're running into mud, you're running into sand, you're running into salt and those things are not friendly to take up into into the into the surface um and then sometimes things can just go wrong like you could lose your drill bit or it can start to go sideways and then like that opens up a whole nother can of worms we don't like it when stuff starts to like deviate um but we're very lucky in ontario that um like stratigraphy 101 is like things are like built in a layer nicely um, and that's how Ontario is for the most part. Like we're, we don't have like crazy things like, you know, like dipping and going in opposite directions. So um, we're very fortunate to have like, I don't want to say easy geology, but I, it's pretty much what it is. Damn. <laughs> that's really cool. So have there been any sort of discoveries from your scientific investigation that have revealed something about the underlying geologic formations of Southwestern Ontario that you'd like to share? Like anything in particular that you're like, oh, this was one of my favorite parts of my research. A lot of blood, sweat and tears went into, <laughs> went into my defense and into my thesis. Um, but ultimately, like, I think my favorite part of my, of my journey and like my favorite part of my master's is there were lots of pretty pictures that were in there. So uh, I like to think that my research will help move the ball forward or like move the ball down the field, however you want to word it. Um, because uh, like I said earlier, like there's 150 years of knowledge and people used to describe it like, like they would draw what they saw and they would try and explain like, this is what I saw on this day on this location. Um, 
And sometimes stuff gets lost in translation, right? Um, but for my thesis, I have so many pictures and I have so many things in there. Like, why would I describe it when I can just show you, right? So like, here is a picture of a phosphate nodule, or like, here is a picture of this formation or what I think is this formation. Um, and ultimately like it was a lot of work. There's a lot of correlative or correlation that had to be done. Um, but I think it will contribute to geology in the future. And that that's really all I can hope. Or maybe somebody will, you know, look at my thesis like 30 years from now and be like, where was this girl going? Like she has no idea what's going on, <laughs> but that's the, that's the beauty of science. So it's good. Uh, so in these pictures and these like old timey, like, especially the older ones, did anybody draw any of the formations? Um, they draw, they, they draw, they drew, they drew. what they saw. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was very like, you really had to put your thinking cap on and use like descriptive words. So like, you have color, you have grain size, you have fossils, you have presence of secondary minerals, like all of these things. Um, and then people got lazy, right? So like, mm -hmm. if you've described it once, then you've described it, you know, a million times. And I don't know how many, like my actual like sources for my thesis, um, like everyone has said the same thing. So like, I've got one description and I've got like, seven sources behind it because they've all said the same thing. Um, but the beauty of pictures and like the pictures that are in my thesis, um, because of the oil, gas, and salt resources library, um, these pictures are like 4k and 8k quality. So you can go onto my like digital version, which is almost three gigs. If you want to download it from Western's library, um, these pictures, you can zoom in real close and you could probably look at all of the little nodules and every, we could look at the grain size of the sandstone if you really wanted to, um, because they're just, they're just fantastic. Like 4k, three gig thesis. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds crazy. So Sean was just asking about old timey pictures and you talked about those and related them to your current really high definition, high resolution uh, imagery that you have now when people look at those and use those going on into the future are they going to be mainly sort of like a slideshow or pictures people can scroll through or are they also going to be implemented and applied to some other form of visualization as we continue to improve the technology of depicting these formations that you're studying yeah so one of the I guess one of the diagnostic tools that um, that is used for clastic and carbonate sedimentology or even stratigraphy is something called the geophysical log. So um, this log, after a core has been taken, there's obviously a hole in the ground um, and they send a little radioactive tool down and it creates a, basically like a squiggly line that goes down and it's measured by depth. Um, and in these squiggles is um, certain signatures. So the, obviously a radioactive tool will interact with, um, depending on the tool, will react with either like the potassium in the rock or something, uh, something similar to that. Um, and it will create a, it'll create a squiggly line or a geophysical curve. And that can then be correlated with the actual core itself. So for example, there's, um, I threw out some like formations and types. So we have shale, 
We have something called dolomite or dolostone. Um, we have sandstones. And then also in my, in my research, there's phosphate nodules. Um, and each of these things have a unique signature on a geophysical log. So a, a shale is like really nice and tight. Um, dolomite or dolostone kind of has like a, a square, squarish curve to it. Um, and then if you have like a sandstone and usually shale is kind of mixed into that, this line just goes back and forth and it's like, it's a total mess. But once you know where those like signatures end or like where those signatures are on the, on the log and on the core, then you can say, okay, all shale, all Queenston shale looks like this. All Manitoulin looks like this. All Whirlpool looks like this. Um, so having these pictures at the same time, um, I can physically show where the changes are in the geophysical log and in the rock. So that way, if someone were to go in blind and be like, I don't know what the heck I'm looking at, they can go and look at my thesis and be like, okay, here is the contact between the Whirlpool and the Manitoulin on a geophysical log. And here is what it looks like in a core. Um, and the purpose of, you know, correlating things and also especially in the subsurface, um, things can change a lot. So you could drill down and see the Whirlpool Manitoulin contact look one way, and then you drill like five kilometers over and it could look different, but it's still a contact. Um, and that's kind of like the beauty of it. It's like trying to like make a puzzle, but you have a lot of missing pieces <laughs> and you're trying to figure out if like, if it all matches in the area. Okay. That's really cool. And like you were throwing out so many names and different types of rocks and things like that. I wanted to ask you, have you ever been to any of these sites or is like, have you been to some of them? Have you been to all of them or none of them? So I'd be curious if you ever went and you're like, oh yeah, this is this kind of rock and this is this to all your friends. So all my friends are geologists and we all kind of have mm -hmm. the same mentality where if we see a rock, we're all like, oh my God, like what type of, what type is that? Or like, oh my gosh, like there's a fossil, like we're going to identify it. Um, so I have been to the gorge. I actually grew up in mm -hmm. Niagara. So the Niagara Gorge is very dear to my heart. I used to hike there all the time. Um, and I would, I would always look across at the gorge and, you know, like, see these wonderful things and always kind of like question as to why they were there. Um, and the gorge is actually like a pretty good section. Like it showcases everything really nice and it's a beautiful place to hike. So if anyone wants to like go there, I highly recommend it. Um, but I wish I could, you know, I wish I could go underwater. I wish that I had the ability to like be on like one of those rigs when it actually came out for the, for the first time ever, just to actually see, uh, like firsthand what's going on. Okay. Uh, I have a follow-up. You don't mind, Scott, uh, <laughs> with the gorge. Cause I'm so curious about this because you were talking about how the older timey, uh, scientists would like draw them. Have you ever tried drawing it? I'd be curious of how well you think you could do it. Oh my gosh. Drawing. Okay. I'm not an artist. <laughs> I'm really <laughs> not an artist and I argue to myself that I'm a scientist because I don't like math, but, uh, my artistic skills, maybe like four out of 10, I'm pretty good at figuring out what's there, but like drawing sand sucks. 
you know, <laughs> drawing, you know, like drawing, uh, fossils are pretty neat because sometimes if they're like, if they're, uh, nice fossils, you can just kind of like take your paper and like squiggle it out. So that way you can get like the imprint of it. Um, but most of the time, yeah, I, I just take a photo. It's easier that way. Okay. <laughs> and like a, like a rubbing, is that what you meant by squiggling out? A rubbing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah where you had the graphite and you'd like rub it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I could definitely okay. I keep asking a lot of questions. Of course, we're almost out of time. I do want to ask you real fast, though. Do you have a favorite mineral? Oh, my favorite mineral. Let's see. Uh, I'd say salt. Salt's pretty good. Salt's like an all-encompassing. It's good for, you know, for food. Maybe not so good for the roads, but like salt has some really good properties to it. Okay. Well, this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Scott, and my co-host was Sharon. We've been speaking with Reese Patterson, and this episode was produced by Emily Hutchinson. If you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcast at sogs.ca. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio. To listen to us, we are on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website, gradcast.ca, or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes and Spotify or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening and have a great day.